Before we actually open up our text for this morning, let me remind the regular uh, attenders and inform our visitors of where we've been going in this season of Lent. This season where the church universal is encouraged to focus especially our attention on the sacrifice of Christ and our response. And having just looked at Christ's death, burial, and resurrection in our sermon series on John, we've been focusing on our response, primarily focused on that idea of how do we uh, do what the text from Romans 12:1 says to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship so after introducing that theme we developed it first by looking at Psalm 95 and how we are called to offer our hearts in worship to God sacrificing devotion to all other things to dr- truly dedicate our worship to him Last week, using Philippians 2, 1 through 4, we saw how we are called to offer our hands to one another in fellowship and unity. How we are to sacrifice our own egos, our own desires for the greater benefit of God's Christian community. And today, using Nehemiah chapter 8, we will be talking about how we are called to offer our minds in study of God's word. So let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. It's on the screen or you can follow along in your Bibles, in your pews. It's found on page number 474, carrying into 475. I will read the whole chapter. From Nehemiah chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood a bunch of people whose names I will butcher. Mathathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Masaiah on his right hand. And Pediah, Mishael, Milkaijah, Hashem, Hashbadaniah. Zechariah and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book on the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Horeah, Masaiah. <laughs> I practice these, I promise. <laughs> Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleiah, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. 
And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. They, then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all of the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And that they should proclaim it and publish it in all of their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And all of the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, they were solemn assembly according to the rule. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm well aware of the fact that I, I know I've used this as an illustration before, but I can think of no better example right now in our lives of something that we have become entirely dependent upon. The example I was thinking of today is it used to be that people had phone numbers memorized of, of their family members, of businesses they frequented, of their relatives. And yet now today, I know that there are some parents who couldn't call their children and children who would not be able to call their parents if it wasn't on their own phone because they don't know the phone number. It's in the phone and they just look up mom, dad, or son, daughter, press the button, and it goes there. And if they don't have their phone, they can't connect. There's, you know, people used to do math equations in their head, but now they have to pull out their calculator. And just to be sure, we put up the directions to drive to places that we've driven through lots of times, but we need the guidance and the help. We have become extremely dependent upon this. But I think many are in denial about that truth. We're in denial because we remember when we didn't need these things and we got along just fine, but we realize that dependence when we don't have it, when we lose it, when it breaks for a day or two and we, we can't buy a new one or as someone in here is familiar, they forget it in Sonora and have to leave and go a whole hour out of their way to find their phone and get it and then come all the way back, ruining their day and their plans. We 
need those phones, and without it, when we lose it or don't have it, we feel lost and disconnected. Well, speaking of being lost and disconnected, we just read a text from the book of Nehemiah about a time when the people had been lost and disconnected, obviously not from their phones, but from God's word. Now, the book of Nehemiah is one of those books that's probably lesser known, and it talks about a period in God's people's history that also is often lesser known and studied. So let me start this morning by just putting this text in its broader historical context so that you know what's going on. If you go all the way back to God's foundation of the people of Israel and to the patriarchs and the promises that he made to Abraham, we remember that after that they were led into slavery for many years in Egypt and then led out of slavery during the time of Exodus where God brought them from Egypt and led them despite their wandering for 40 years now to the promised land called that because that was the land that God had promised to Abraham that he would bring his descendants there to dwell and to live. And they did, through the leadership of Joshua, come into that territory and take it over and claim it as their own. And then they developed themselves in that land, first under the period of the judges and then into the time of the kings, first as one united kingdom of 12 tribes and then by the fourth generation of kings into a divided kingdom the northern ten tribes of Israel, and then the southern two tribes of Judah. And during that time of the kings, we realize that almost all, if not mo most, if not almost all of those kings did not lead well. They were constantly pulled away toward worship of the idols of the nations around them when they had been instructed to be a light to those nations and be true to leading and, and devoting themselves to worship of the one true God. And despite many, many warnings and, and pleads of the prophets to repent and, and to become the nation that they were supposed to be, those warnings were ignored. To the point where later on in history, first the northern tribes of Israel in 722 BC were conquered by the Assyrian Empire. Their capital was destroyed and many of the people were taken from the land of Israel and distributed among the broader empire. And then in 586 BC, the southern tribes of Judah had the same thing happen to them. Their enemies came, destroyed them. They destroyed many of their cities, including Jerusalem, breaking down the walls, destroying the palace, and even destroying the temple. And they too were sent by the Babylonians throughout that empire. And for at least 70 years... More than one generation, they lived apart from their land, distributed, distraught, and in many ways, the nation of Israel was unrecognizable and unidentifiable. But then a new empire came into power, the Persian Empire, and their king, King Cyrus, allowed for the people of Israel to return to the promised land and start to rebuild it and to reorganize themselves as a people. And that what, has, what was taking place recently around the time of Nehemiah, 
Zerubbabel helped rebuild the temple, and Nehemiah helped to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, an important step of protecting them and reestablishing themselves as an independent nation. It was a great project. It took an awful lot of effort. It was contested by their enemies and those that surrounded them. But just before this text, that project had finally been completed. And now that the walls had been rebuilt, the work of rebuilding the people had to begin. Because they weren't just a a selection of individuals who lived behind certain walls on a certain part of the map, they were supposed to be God's people. That was what bound them together. And so to rebuild them, they had to remind and recenter themselves around God's word. Now, as foreign as a lot of that situation can feel to us, unfortunately, I think that that's a situation where many of us can relate. A situation of being away from God, distant from him. A situation where his word was not, well, they, for them, the word of God wasn't readily available. It had to be written, so scrolls were precious. It was either that or it was memorized. And in their time of exile, they didn't have the right access to God's word. They were distant from it. But unfortunately, I think that's where often we can end up being. There is an awful lot of words that we use to describe this book and how important it is. There's the word holy written right on the very top of it, meaning that these words are are sacred and special in a very important way. We say that this is an inspired book, an inspired text, Meaning that the words that are included in it were not just the words of the authors as they preserved them and wrote them down, but through the work of the Holy Spirit, they are the very words of God, his voice, his guidance, his revelation to us. We use other big fancy theological words saying that this is infallible and inerrant. It is not wrong. It will not lead us astray in what it teaches us. It is entirely reliable, true, and trustworthy in everything that it says. We say that it is our guide and rule of life and faith. And when there have been times in the history of the church that it has wandered from the instruction of the church, preferring the teachings of man over this word, God has had to raise up people to call us back to obedience to this word, guiding our very decisions. And while I know that almost everyone here and certainly every member of our church has had to say, yes, I believe that all of those important things are true about this book. I know that we believe that in idea. I worry if we actually treat this book as if those things were true in practice. I fear that oftentimes when there are choices that have to be made in our life, more quickly do we run to our friends, to our phones, or we examine our feelings when we decide how to make those choices and what to do with our lives rather than going to God's word and being directed by it. 
I fear that oftentimes we hear those words and we think that they're just suggestions for our lives. And we often don't treat the Bible like food that we need daily, regularly to nourish and strengthen us in our lives. But instead, we treat it like a reference book, like a dictionary. We know it's there if we ever want to look something up, but we don't really need it all that often, nor do we rely upon it all of the time. And even if we want to use the Bible to guide our decisions, the sad reality is we don't know where to look because we haven't read the whole thing and we haven't memorized hardly any of it, certainly since we left school and much less as an adult. And because of that, despite the fact that we have all kinds of Bibles around us and available to us, on the whole, I fear that we have chosen to put ourselves in a situation similar to what the Israelites were in when they were in exile. That we don't know the word. It's foreign to us. It's unfamiliar. We don't think we have time to devote ourselves to reading it. We don't think the Bible is interesting enough to give it its reading to be worthwhile. And we don't see the value in our understanding and reading of Scripture. And so we often give our minds and our thoughts to the distractions of this world rather than devoting our minds to study of the word. Now, in the situation that the Israelites were in in the book of Nehemiah, when they were allowed to return and they did have access once again to the written word of God, look at what happens. What stands out in our text? First of all, we see that the people wanted to engage with the word. They were the one who gathered as one body. They asked Ezra to go and get the word and come and read it to us. They gave long periods of time in a busy season when they were supposed to be rebuilding the, the destroyed city that they were living in. They gave valuable time to hear this word and they were excited to be there and to listen to it. The absence of the Bible had created a hunger for God's words in their heart. They knew they needed it. Second, we see an emphasis not on them just hearing the word, but on the importance of understanding it. That word understand, understood, is repeated at multiple times. We are told in verse 8 specifically that the word was read clearly. There are mentions of names, people, individuals whose names I butchered, but are there because they were there to help, encourage, to explain, to instruct, so that these words were not just heard and, and passed by their ears, but the people knew what was being said and what was the meaning behind it. Third, we learn that when the people heard and understood, they were touched emotionally that they were weeping at the word being read. And we don't know why, it just says that they wept. And so if we want to know, we can guess. We can think that maybe they were just weeping at the joy of the opportunity to hear this, although it seemed like it was a grieving weeping. 
And so maybe they were weeping as they heard God's commands for their lives and they realized that they had not been living in it, that this is a weeping of conviction, realizing that we have strayed from these words and in our ignorance we have not been obedient to God's desires for our lives. Or personally, I like the option that they were weeping because they were hearing their story. That as they heard the words of God, they heard how God had clearly said to their ancestors why he was giving them this land. What they were supposed to do with it and how they were supposed to live. And they were able to not only hear the warnings that were given to those people over and over again, but now they knew because they had seen what happened in the consequences of their ancestors not listening to those warnings. They were standing among the rubble of a broken and destroyed city because their, leader, their family members had failed. And now they were weeping because of those consequences. Again, we don't know. But they were touched emotionally by these words. And the work had to be done to remind them that this is a joyous celebration now that we are reengaging these words. But another thing we notice, and most importantly, we see that they applied the word. At the end of verse 2, we learn that this reading of God's word took place on the first day of the seventh month. And from, uh, by the time we get to verse 14, we learn that during their reading, they discover anew that there was a festival, the Feast of Booths, that was assigned to take place during the seventh month. Now, when they hear that, their reaction is not, oh, well, that's interesting. Hmm, that's a nice suggestion. We'll have to consider that. The reaction was not, oh, well, if we would have known that, we could have been prepared. But since we're not, we'll just ignore that from now. And we'll, we'll maybe make some plans for next year to get this all together and organize this event and be prepared for it. No. The reaction was, we are reading God's word. These are his instructions for our lives. We've seen what happens when we disobey, so we're going to do this. And though they may have been caught off guard and unprepared, they sent the people out to gather the leaves, to gather the branches, to make the booths. And there and then they responded to God's word by obeying and celebrating this festival like they hadn't done for literally centuries. Probably because the Feast of Booths is a reminder of what it was to be wandering in the wilderness before God reestablished them in this land. They of all people could identify with that wandering and being reestablished. And so they applied God's word. Now, having seen the revival that the people of Israel went through during the time of Nehemiah, I think there's an awful lot in there for us to remind us of how we need a revival and a renewal to dedicate to offer our minds in study of God's word. I think we need to develop a hunger, a renewed hunger for God's word. Step one toward engaging in scripture and offering our minds in study is to want to do it. To not just say big things about this book and what it's supposed to be and use fancy words, but to actually recognize that this is God's word for our lives and to treat it as such. We have time. 
We give our minds and thoughts and attention to all kinds of other things. We just have to be willing to devote ourselves to sacrifice a few moments each day to that word. We cannot live in light of God's word if we do not know what it says. Now, I've always been convicted of the fact that I never want to just stand up here and say, so, read the Bible, the end. But I want to encourage you in that. And toward that end, let me offer just a few of the many suggestions that I have. If you are one of those people that needs to hear an encouragement to re-engage, first of all, I would encourage you to think small. This looks and feels intimidating. But what you can do is just set smaller goals. So one thing is I have a whole series of the books of the New Testament in individual. And this is the book of Romans. This feels a lot less intimidating than this. So if you buy this and start here, you can get through this much smaller book as a first step toward understanding. And in fact, this particular version has words on this side and an opportunity to write and respond on this side. So you set smaller goals, whether you buy the book individually or you just go and you say, I'm just going to work through the epistles, a gospel. Start with a smaller goal instead of trying to get through the whole thing. Many people have started in Genesis and just run out of steam pretty early uh, in light of that. Build momentum by starting small. Another way is to find a, a good method of engaging scripture good way to remind yourself of the time that you need. And so I'll just say personally right now, I'm about three quarters of the way through a Bible through the year study. And the way that this one has been working has been really helpful for me is every single day I receive an email saying, here is today's reading. And it lists the scripture text and I just read it off of that email. And it's been a great way for me to stay on top of things, to never miss a day because, oh, I didn't have my Bible with me because it's on my phone if I want it. It's on my computer if I need it. It's on my tablet. It's always available to me, and it's, a great, it's been a great way to help me remember that this is what I want to accomplish in today. But beyond just desire, we need to search for understanding. And let me give you some tools with that. First of all, uh, to help understand, find a translation that's readable for you. In church, we use the ESV, the English Standard Version. We use it because it it's a good, faithful translation of the original languages. But I will confess, there are times when it's difficult to read and difficult to understand. And so if you find that to be the case, get another translation like the New Living Translation that is designed and translated in such a way to be more readable and more readily understandable to our modern English ears. And that might be a good way of helping you understand the Bible better. Furthermore, I would greatly encourage everyone to have access to a good study Bible. The NIV study Bible or the ESV study Bible are great versions. What that is, if you don't know, is next to the text, there are explanations. So if you're reading through something, you're like, what does that mean? Or I don't understand what's going on. You can look at a footnote at the bottom of the page and right there, oftentimes it answers the very questions that you have. If you don't want to buy the hard copy or find that hard, you can get access to that online at esv.org or you can get access to it on other online resources, explanations of the text that make it much, much easier. 
But of course, the bottom line to all of that is not just letting those words pass by you, checking off, uh, well, I looked at them today, but it's applying those words. And I think that's where we all need extra work. We should be emotionally touched by the story of the Bible. When we read scripture, it's not just a story about a distant God who was doing something a long time ago. It's our story. It's about how we have wandered from a great relationship with God in our rebellion in our sin. And how throughout time he revealed himself and worked with his people, sending his only son to this earth so that he would bear the wrath of God and that we might be forgiven. That's a truth that should emotionally touch our hearts and make us deeply appreciate that God that would love us that much, that he would rather send his son and die than to condemn us forever. And in light of that, again, in line with the whole purpose of this sermon series, how much should we be willing to dedicate our time, our service and devotion to everything that he has done for us because we not only understand, but we have been emotionally impacted by what his love means for our lives. But furthermore, if the Bible is the word of God, then we need to do what it says. When the Bible says don't, we don't. When the Bible says go, we go. That we don't lean on our own sinful, selfish inclinations, but we say this is God's instruction for our lives. And oftentimes in our sinful nature, that will feel restrictive. It will feel like, like Adam and Eve, like they were being told, you're not doing all that God wants to prevent you from being all that you are. But what we realize in application of the word is God actually wants to bless you. He says, I know you. I made you. I made this world. And if you want to live the best, most blessed life possible, this is how you do it. And so we know God's word so that we can live it in obedience. The community of Israel was blessed when they sacrificed their time to hear again the word of God after a long absence. We will be blessed when we rededicate ourselves to a renewed study, understanding the and applying God's word to our lives. Now first, let me do what I haven't done yet and acknowledge and appreciate the saints in this congregation that are faithful in their Bible devotion. And the example that you set to me and many others of many years of dedicated learning and understanding of God's word, thank you for that example. But for those that need a little reminder and renewal, use this as that opportunity. Uh, if you want to know where to start, do what I do. Ask other people, what do you do? How do you engage and learn from them and try different things until you find what works for you. And if you can't find that from others, ask me. I would love to get each one of you in a place where you are engaging with God's word in such a way where you know it better, where you know him better, and where you are living as his children. May God bless us all as we make the minor sacrifices of some time as we offer our minds to God in study of his word. Amen. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, again, we want to thank you for the gift of your word. How you don't leave us wondering and wandering about who you are or how we are to live and following the whims of culture or our feelings and emotions and our own desires, but you have set for us the plumb line, the task for obedience. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for often being people who neglect that word. That assume, that assume that because we know the basics, we know the most important details. That have been quick to point out the sin and erring of others without being convicted of our own areas where we fail and fall short. Again, Lord, thank you for faithful examples of people who have learned from your word, who have studied it, who know it, and who live according to with it. May we be surrounded with many of those examples. But for those that need to be encouraged, may this encourage us, especially in this season of Lent, to rededicate ourselves to know your word better so that we can know you better and that we can help to build your kingdom in the way that you have designed for us. Thank you for your word. This we pray in the name of Jesus, the word made flesh. Amen.